Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m. at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about living in the Father's peace. Uh, Helen kicked us off last week by talking about living in the Father's joy. And I'm going to steal a little bit of her message So, um, as I kind of go over that. Um, There's a great little passage to the letter um, in the letter of Philippians. uh, And uh, we're going to look at that in a moment. But uh, I just want to start out with a little bit of my testimony. Um, So I was 20 20 years old and I was a student and... uh, I was not doing good. There's a whole heap of things that were not going right. But one of the things that was not going right was that I was having a bit of a breakdown. And so I was seeing a counselor just before I became a Christian. And um, yeah, basically, um, my mind was incredibly turbulent. Um, There's lots of reasons for that. Um, Living in a student household can be pretty turbulent anyway. Um, But... um, yeah, once I, uh, once I kind of prayed the prayer and gave my life to the Lord, I, I just started reading Scripture and taking it pretty literally. So um, I had a very childlike faith, and one of the things that um, I stumbled across was um, that God was a counselor. So I asked him to be a counselor to me, and I remember one afternoon where I just wrote down loads and loads of stuff that was kind of patterns of things that were wrong in my life. And um, it took a few hours. Uh, I wonder how long it would take, you know, to write down all the stuff that's wrong in your life. Um, But you can kind of summarize it. Some of us like to use lots of words. Others are a bit briefer. So so don't think I've got three hours worth of stuff wrong in my life. Um, But it took a while. Um, And uh, it was at that point um, that I just really clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, just screw that up, throw it in the bin. That's done with. And just that simple visual uh, action in doing that, in writing it down and then throwing it away and believing on the truth was, was, was so powerful. Um, the next morning I woke up and um, everything seemed really, really quiet to me. And uh, I was so kind of concerned that I opened the window to try and put my head outside to hear something. And I finally heard some birds singing. And, um, of course, student campus, there's nobody around in the morning until about 11 o'clock normally. Uh, But uh, I was like, oh, so I haven't gone deaf. But I experienced for the first time this peace that surpasses all understanding that it talks about in this verse. So... You know, I was one who, as a mathematician, was always after understanding. Very busy mind, lots of cogs turning over. But I woke up to an experience of, it was like um, the Sea of Galilee when Jesus spoke to the storm and told it to be calm. My mind was suddenly still. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience when all you've known is, is a raging storm. Um, so that's what's on offer. And uh, I know for some of us, we've experienced that peace at times. It's, maybe it's been fleeting. Maybe some of us have learned to live in that place of peace and 
keep coming back to that. But we're going to explore that tonight together. So let's just read this scripture through, and then we'll work our way through it. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Don't worry or be anxious, as it says in the NIV and other versions, about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. We've done that tonight. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard me, heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And that's just a simple closing encouragement, but there's so much in there as we're going to see tonight. And so we've got uh, five um, parts that we're going to work through. You'll see it down the right-hand side there. Being beloved, doing delight, addressing anxieties, building boundaries and practicing peace. So we're going to work our way through those. But it all starts with where we've been in this last season of understanding that we are God's beloved. Helen was talking about last week about um, our joy and the source of it comes from being God's beloved children. So there's nothing we can do to earn God's love. If you weren't around for the Good and Beautiful God series, we heard it again and again, didn't we? There's nothing we can do. So it's not about doing. It's about simply believing the truth of who God is and what he's done. And that's where our joy should come from. And um, we keep hammering this because it's the fundamental issue. There's no getting around it. If you don't believe your identity in God is as a beloved child who he's come to rescue and do everything on his side so that you can be with him forever, then we're not believing the gospel. You might have a faith, but we need to get to that place of complete faith. We're actually living that reality. So circumstances change. And if we're one of these kind of happy, clappy Christians that's always happy when everything around isn't happy, that's not very real as well. We're told to mourn with those who mourn. And there's times where it's, it's completely right that we should mourn. You know, death is not something to be um, ignored or laughed at or pretend that it, it doesn't have an impact on us. So we're not living in that unreality. So the joy we're talking about is the ability to say when we lose a loved one, blessed be the name of the Lord. We've got the confidence that he's not in the death. He's come and he's defeated death. And that's what we stand for in faith. So our joy is rooted in eternity. We can talk about it being eschatological joy. It's something that we know is approaching us every day we wake up. It's a day closer to us. But we don't have to wait for that time in the future. And it's not about waiting to go to heaven. It's about taking a hold of it and being able to access it today. Yeah, so there's nothing we can do to earn it. Now, um, we see that wonderful connection there at Jesus' baptism. Amazing, isn't it? Our foundation in Christ of being dearly loved is, is based on that statement to, to Jesus by the Father. You're my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Father could not wait to pronounce his love over Jesus. Jesus had to kind of get to the point where he believed that, walked in the Father's will, and as he walks in the Father's will, 
he's hearing this voice and as are people around him. And so he was living out of the truth and the reality of that right belief. And that's what orthodoxy means. It's, it's a right belief. Um, and uh, we're going to go on in a moment to have a look at orthopraxy, which is right practice. How do we practice joy? Um, but the basis of our joy comes out of being beloved by God. And I just wanted to mention as well, um, this is a topic close to my heart because our little girl Abigail, who's in the youth at the moment, uh, um, her name means my father's joy. That's what Abigail means. And so we named her that with a sense of not just my joy and great joy at having a child, but the father's joy. And I think that's just a reminder, isn't it, that that's the way God looks at us. If we can live every day under his smile, we're going to have better days than if we lived believing that the world is against us and God's not on our side. So being beloved, we're now going to look at um, doing delight. And again, I said I was going to steal some of Helen's message and she talked about um, the Sabbath last week. She talked about delight and she talked about creativity. And it just so happens that these are really important things that are hardwired into Scripture and we're hardwired into the lifestyle of God's people. It's really important that we do the things we delight in. And although for some people Sabbath becomes this religious practice where they have to do something, they can't do something else, God set aside a day as a taster and a glimpse of the life to come where we can do what we want. Now through history, if you imagine the kids working down the coal mines at 12 and 13, 14 years old, I doubt there was a day that they had off which they could enjoy. Um, we, we've had to kind of fight and guard this day. And even today where we used to have Sundays where people didn't work and so on, that was all about having time so that we could spend time with family, go to church, have recreation. And we found ourselves in a world where everything's speeding up and we feel like we need to be speeding up with it. And um, coming from the UK... They were a little bit kind of further down the track of this being, uh, being on this crazy travelator. So when we first came here, everything seemed ever so slow here because we were used to 24-7 everything. You could go out and eat in the middle of the night. You could do anything you wanted all around the clock. And that, that was the norm. And it's become the norm in lots of big cities. Um, but, uh, but here, it's still refreshing that come Friday night at five, it's hard to do anything, isn't it? Used to frustrate me. But now I love it because it's good to stop. We need to slow down. God did this for us. It's not for him. It's for us. And so as we slow down, the purpose of it is not just rest in the sense of, you know, flick on Netflix and just mindlessly kind of idly hours away. You might need to do that. I often need to do that on work days um, just to kind of gear down the brain. But... Um, we're talking about entering into the delight of Sabbath rest where you do things that God has made you to enjoy and delight in so he can do them with you. And maybe that's art, maybe that's creativity like we saw uh, last week, but maybe it's, um, you know, Phil, what is it for you in your rest time? Is it, is it going down the shed and hammering out something and coming up with a plan? No, that, that's work for you. <laughs> Sitting in front of the TV, yeah. So we, we find the things that we, we enjoy, and God wants us to do those things. He wants us to enjoy our families. He wants us to 
um, get involved in whatever it is, walking, reading, hospitality, being generous, having folks over, engaging in community. These are all things that we should be doing to connect with the reality of the kingdom that's coming and that we can look forward to. And a part of that as well is that we worship not just by singing songs, which is great. And it's amazing the talents that people have to lead us in worship. Uh, and I'm very grateful that they have them. And you need to be very grateful that they have them. Because if I were trying to do it, it wouldn't be good. Um, but um, we worship by offering our gifts back to God. So whatever it is we're gifted in, as we offer that to God, and we spend time doing that, um, we're worshiping our Lord. So these things are really important to lay a foundation for experiencing the peace of God. So, as we've kind of got to verse 6, we see this very clear verse about don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. Who's good at being anxious about nothing? Oh, well done. So, all the time you've never feared, nothing going wrong in your life, everything's good. We live in that all good that's a hard place to live. That's a very hard place to live. And what we see is either the Bible here is somehow wrong in what it's telling us to do, or we're missing the reality of what it's about. Because we can either partner with that fear, worry, anxiety, and just think that's the norm for us or we can learn ways to deal with it. And that's what we're going to try and do uh, tonight. The first way there we're going to come to in a moment, which is prayer, which is incredibly powerful. But first of all, we're going to have a little um, investigation of what anxiety is, because I think some people feel like it's, it's something weird, or it's an illness, or it's a condition. But anxiety is is a normal response that you have in your body. The thing is, it's how we respond to that response because our body's already got ahead of us and it, it, it kind of creates these three uh, actions typically. And you might experience all three or maybe you've got a favorite one there. And it's uh, fight, flight or freeze. So maybe if you've got uh, friends and partners here, you can pick theirs quite easily. You can see if they're uh, the ones who, uh, who want to run or they're the ones who just clam up and don't know what to say. And um, yeah, a few of these don't go too well together when you're both experiencing anxiety. So that creates all kinds of problems in relationships. But um, these kind of things are hardwired in our brain. And straight away, without us thinking, a bit like when somebody hits you on the knee and you have a reflex reaction, your body goes into automatic. And so, you know, you can feel um, the blood rushing around your body and it can rush to your face. You become very red-faced. Like if I asked you to come up here and uh, do some public speaking, for some of you, that would be a nightmare. You'd rather kind of stand in a, um, a cage of snakes probably rather than do that. So, because we feel and anticipate that, that that's threatening because for some reason... You know, we grow up in that place where we feel that somehow that, that's a dangerous thing to do. Well, it can be very dangerous if, if you're a teenager and your friends start, you know, taking the, uh, 
the mickey out of you and bringing you down. That's the last thing you want as a teenager, that kind of attention. So we engage in all these responses and we have to learn how to deal with them. So it's a little vi video. It's uh, from Beyond Blue and uh, we're good to go with the audio. And uh, this is just a great job in a couple of minutes of explaining anxiety. Anxiety. It's a word used often these days. But what is it? And what's the difference between feeling anxious and an anxiety condition? When you perceive a threat, you might feel uneasy, worried, nervous, distressed, or even scared. This is anxiety. And it's a natural and healthy response to situations you think may be harmful. But if these feelings hang around, pop up with no apparent reason, or start to impact your day-to-day -day life, it could be the sign of an anxiety condition. Anxiety conditions are really, really common. There are plenty of different types and different people experience them differently because we're human. But what causes an anxiety condition? It could be any number of things or a combination of them, such as a big life change, a hugely stressful event, the breakdown of a close relationship. It could be that there's a history in your family of people experiencing mental health conditions, that you experienced trauma when you were younger, or that you're dealing with ongoing physical illness or pain. While these are some of the main known causes of an anxiety condition, they aren't the only ones. What's most important is to understand that an anxiety condition is treatable. And it's worth talking to someone about. Does a great job in a short space of time of telling us something. And we've got better at talking about these things. Maybe. Certainly better than our parents' generation, who would kind of zip it up, she'll be right, all of that stuff, which, you know, is uh, just trying to hope in the end it will just move on. But anxiety in itself, we, we, we'll all experience it it wouldn't be hard probably to find something that would make you anxious. I did think about having a, a cage here with a blanket over it and um, putting some sounds coming out of the cage and um, just inviting one of you to come up and take the blanket off. I, I'm sure I could have made a few of you quite anxious doing that. Um, but being anxious is okay. We're meant to be anxious when we see a snake. Now, the wisdom then comes as to what you do. And I know for Kiwis, this is a thing, isn't it? It's a really big thing. And uh, for Brits too, coming here, you had to get over that. And, um, but there's plenty of Aussies here too who are also anxious about the snakes. But um, yeah, and uh, it was helpful to know that there's only one snake that will chase you. The others, if you just stand still, they're not bothered, they'll go their way. So you all want to know that snake down there. Yeah, that's a death adder. So if you disturb a pile of leaves and there's a death adder, it's probably too late anyway because the strike is so quick because they like to hide and strike from that position. But they will actually be aggressive and chase you. So I've been told. Um, so um, the others, you should stand there. Actually, the freeze response is a really good one in this, this regard. So... Um, so anxiety, it's, it's, it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a normal response, but it's how we then process it. And uh, we've got to look at the things you can change and the things you can't. And we're going to look at assessing circles of control and influence. Now, my mate over here, um, he works with refugees, Refugee Connect, he and Roz. 
Uh, we support these guys doing the food drive and so on. Now, they've put together this really helpful leaflet because do you think refugees coming from other countries would have experienced some anxiety along the way? Yeah, most likely. So there's a great little leaflet here, and he's got um, lovely little diagrams, things I can change versus the things I can't, and uh, how you come up with a plan, define and accept the facts, develop an action plan for change, write down the action plan, and then take the action plan steps. So... The things we can change, it's actually good to do something about it. Like it's probably not good to leave a snake in your uh, child's bedroom. Um, so somehow you've got to get somebody to uh, deal with that snake uh, or, or get your child out. The first time I experienced a huntsman, I had no clue what it would do, but it didn't look like it was friendly. So uh, it was, it was going to be um, me or the spider when it came to my daughter. And... What I didn't realize is that these are pretty big things, and I kept it in a jar for identification for the next day to see what it was and look it up. Um, but uh, those things, they stink after a while. So, uh, yeah. So we put ourselves in these positions where there's things we can change and there's things we can't, and it's good to look uh, and analyze those. This, um, this diagram I first encountered... Um, when I was doing my uh, teacher training, and it was a very helpful session about stress. It's a bit small. I'll read out the conditions. So the light blue in the middle is your circle of control, and then the biggest circle, the circle of influence, and then the biggest circle, the circle of concern. So what we can actually control is things like our actions, our thoughts, our responses, our attitudes, our enthusiasm. We've got direct control over those things. And that's where we need to focus our attention. Now, for other things, we've got a circle of influence. So when, when I'm talking about control, I'm talking in a positive sense, not manipulation. Because if you start manipulating your family to do what you want them to do, that's not good. Um, so, but we do have influence in our family. If we stand back and we don't discipline our kids, well, good luck. Um, we should be doing something, but actually we, we don't have control over that. And I think that's helpful to recognize. Our kids' responses when they spit their food out, um, you know, all of those things. If you've had children, you had to work through that and work out how you're going to deal with it. What's your strategy? So there's things that we can control and there's things we can't control. Now, the things in the circle of concern, a lot of people get worried about these, but as it was pointed out to me as a young teacher, these things are beyond your ability to influence. So don't give them any thought or time. Now you can be concerned about them, and we'll talk about what we can do positively in that in a moment, but actually you can't stop war unless that's your job, mind you, and you know, you're the president of a country, in which case that, that comes in your sphere of influence, but uh, you might not even be able to stop it. But we do have the ability to control ourselves. So that's where we need to put most of our attention when it comes to focusing on things. So talking to somebody, figuring out this stuff. Some, my wife's a great internal processor. She can just come up with it all, bang, 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 bang. I've, for me, I've got to go and talk it out, work it out. These things are helpful to see, well, what am I anxious about? I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage before... I retire or whatever. Let's say it's that. Talk about it. Get some help. Sometimes we need to get some advice. Look at what you can do. 
And do you know what? Even doing a little bit is really helpful for you because you start to think, well, I'm positively working towards it. And there might be an element where, well, God, I'm doing this bit. You're going to need to help me with the rest. So there's things we can do with our anxiety to address them. And there's loads and loads of things we could say about that. But it gives you the idea. Now, Scripture, this Scripture is telling us, don't be anxious, pray about things. So what we're talking about there is um, the power of prayer. We have a relationship with the Creator God, our Father who loves us and is concerned about us. And yes, we do experience things like death of a loved one, um, wars raging across the earth, all these things. But those things, if they start to raise an anxiety in you, even if they're in your circle of concern, you can pray. And I just suggest you do that because there's something very helpful about saying, Lord, would you intervene in that conflict in Israel at the moment? Would you come and save those kids in, in Gaza from uh, um, bombs that are falling out of the sky? You could protest on the streets, but we've been asked to do another thing, which is to pray. And that's really helpful because if we just allow that to sit in that space of unresolved, well, actually, there's not a lot we can do. But praying is really helpful. And we've got to engage with that, that prayer. So I'd encourage you to turn your concerns into prayers. And part of that praying is very, very specific. So um, it says there, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. So um, again, if you need to pay the mortgage off, keep praying that God will somehow um, do that. And I've seen him do incredible miracles in people's lives, things that they haven't expected him to be able to do and achieve. But, uh, but thankfulness is so powerful. The, um, this week on, on the Monday, um, I was really happy because um, I'm signed up to the Australian Prayer Network newsletters and they sent out an article called Feeling Traumatized by the News, Six Solutions from a Counselor that You Can Do to Deal with Things. And here's two of them, Practice Gratitude and Practice Forgiveness. So I'm just going to read these quotes. Dr. Jennifer Longdren says, Developing a grateful heart can greatly improve mental health. Pointing to several Bible verses about gratitude, such as 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances. This could involve keeping a gratitude journal, in, in which you write a daily list of things that you're thankful for. An interesting thing about gratitude, said Dr. Longdren, is that it's neurobiologically impossible to feel gratitude and anxiety at the same time. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So that's pretty good, isn't it? It's like the cold and the heat that you put on physically when there's a pain response. You try and kind of get your body to feel either the cold or heat, and they work in different ways. But we're talking here about in your brain that somehow thankfulness, it, it, it shuts off that anxiety. So, um, yeah, it's uh, quite amazing. The creator knew what he was doing when he wrote the word, wasn't it? So, um, also she wrote, uh, practice forgiveness. Ephesians 4.31 is the one place in God's word that talks about forgiving one another. Well, actually, I think there's more than one place. Um, but... Dr. Longdren says, forgiving others can go a long way towards getting rid of anxiety and depression. Uh, kind of in reflection on how God shows us his grace and mercy, she said, we'll have better health outcomes and mental health outcomes as a result. Uh, she even recommends forgiving ourselves. A lot of people, Christians included, have a lot of critical self-talk 
and uh, we have this idea that the harder we are on ourselves, the better we'll become. And we're actually seeing the opposite, she said. So amazing, isn't it? Those just dropped into my inbox this week just so I could share them with you. So the power of praying, the power of being thankful, the power of forgiveness. So again, we should all know by now, at least in theory, it's much harder to practice. I saw um, old head of school um, on Elijah's awards night and I thought, oh, I still feel that thing from when Keris was in school whereby we needed to have a conversation about something and make a change. Now, it all worked out in the end, but it's my business that I'm carrying around any sense of unforgiveness in my heart. So I've got to deal with that. And so sometimes you think you've forgiven somebody and if it pops up, deal with it. Don't bury it. Um, So again, very practical, but a lot of scripture is. So we've looked at addressing anxieties and now we're going to talk as part of that building boundaries um, in verse 7, it says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. So we need a guard. We need to set a guard. We need to think of it like a fortress with somebody standing outside and defending. And so we need to be careful um, with things that we know God's voice. It says in Matthew 24, now everybody loves to kind of calculate When's Jesus going to return and do a timeline? I think, you know, whether it's Trump or who knows who's the latest uh, figure that people are up for, maybe Putin. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's not what it says there. Do you know what it actually says? Is Don't be deceived and don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived by all of this stuff. It says not to work out the times, okay, because it's going to happen when it happens. The bad stuff, it's been happening. And the specific bad stuff Jesus was addressing that happened within the lifetime, like he said it would, of those particular people who experienced the walls of Jerusalem coming down and the stone on the stone. That was very specific advice. So it says, don't be deceived and don't be alarmed. Because he says, many people will come pretending they're the Messiah and speak in my voice. But we've got to know the voice of the Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking thoughts captive. When we know that something's setting itself up against the knowledge of God and it's coming against your faith. And I don't mean somebody challenging you in a debate. I mean your own thoughts. Oh, does God not like me? I'm having a bad day. Or maybe God's not on my side today. Maybe I've got to put something right. We've got to take captive those thoughts and say, well, thanks, devil. Well, Lord, if I've done anything to offend you, Um, I just now repent and I'm confident that you're faithful um, to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So, you know, we've got to take those things captive. We've got to be active about it and not come under them. And we need to be disciplined. All of us are aware of pathways in our mind, neural pathways. They're like highways. And so the more we go down them, the stronger they get. So the bigger the highways, you know, the easier it is for thoughts and Um, patterns and habits to get it established. Now, if we know that um, fear of snakes is a thing for us, and and do you know what? We've got the world against us on this, and I can explain why. I think you've all got one of these in your pocket, haven't you? The minute that you click on that article that talks about some dramatic snake incident, do you know what you're going to see for the next three months? Every snake incident 
that happens throughout the whole of Australia. Now, this stuff, when you actually click it, there's obviously not, not a lot going on. I think there's only ever been like one or two interesting snake articles I've ever read about. Um, but the minute that you click this phone or your computer, there's somebody who's selling your information. And they're trying to put on you something. So people live in worlds that used to be, you'd have to go to a cult in Waco to kind of get misled. But now you just got to click your phone. And then you just get that same information again and again. So if you're clicking about some crazy profit, you're going to get that crazy profit stuff again and again and again and again. So we need to be disciplined. Um, so I think, do I talk about it in the next slide? Um, oh, no, I'll come back to that. So device discipline. It's so tempting, isn't it? Because it's clickbait. We'll follow the path that we want to follow. And so we have to be wise not to do it because the moment we do it. And sometimes I even want to click it when it's like something, you know all these things that, that come up that this should be useful, this is an innovative solution. Sometimes there's one that's really there that I think, oh, that sounds really good though. And then I click it and then I regret it straight away because I'm just going to get that again and again and again. So um, I'm serious, this is, this is a... This is a device that can control and manipulate your life. And there's people making money off it, so um, that's why they do it. And uh, who knows, maybe one day they'll regulate it properly. But for now, be disciplined. So hearing God's voice versus Satan's voice. I did this in the youth a couple of Sundays back. Now this is really good, isn't it? Look, God's voice stills you where Satan rushes you. God's voice leads you where Satan pushes you. God's voice reassures you where Satan frightens you. And so we can go on. And so we can actually teach ourselves to discern what God's voice is like. And so sometimes it's our voice. We've got that fleshly drive inside of us. And we've got to discern, is, well, is that kind of tuned into God or is that tuned into the enemy? So again, these things are very helpful for hearing um, God's voice, my sheep know my voice. I think I got a little bit ahead of myself, didn't I? Because I was talking about setting limits and cutting off sources. This is what I was talking about here, about um, clickbait and device. But boundaries are really healthy. If you know that that woman at work um, is always going to wind you up because she talks about X, Y, and Z, then just avoid getting into that conflict. If that's going to be an area of anxiety for you, just kind of find another way and sometimes you can't and it's really awkward because they're standing right by the tea machine or the coffee and you've got to have the conversation because you're desperate for a cup of tea but these things are really practical you know we've got to set boundaries around uh, how we guard our hearts and um, it's easy to lose God's peace and I think if you're anything like me jumping in the car and just driving down the road for a couple of minutes you're going to encounter somebody who's going to wind you up Anybody else like that? Anybody else get on the road and get frustrated? Because it just seems that probably 90% of people need to go and do their road test again. I think that seems about the right figure. But, um, and they're probably saying about me too. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the, the old plank in the eye thing. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't avoid getting in the car. And we just pray, 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 pray about everything. Um, 
The other thing about boundaries is healthy differentiation because some of us, we have to engage in work and it could be counselling, pastoring, could be like, you know, the hardest day for Helen and I is when we have to go through the child protection policy every year and we have to read about stuff that's pretty yucky, um, but we have to do that and it's our role and responsibility to do that, but it doesn't make us feel good, really gets us down, really makes us think, why am I doing this job again? Can you tell me? Lord, please, you know, because you don't want to be in those scenarios where people are doing that stuff. And um, what we have to bring ourselves back to all the time is the differentiation between, okay, well, it's there to help, but that's not the norm. This isn't, there isn't a threat that's happening to us now. But you feel those same responses, the, the fight, flight, freeze, because you're engaging in an area of darkness. Similarly, if you're an intercessor, and I've done a lot of work with intercessors. Um, gee, they're hard work, intercessors. I'm an intercessor because we get burdened. You heard about an intercessor getting burdened? They feel a burden. Well, it's good until it's not good. So you've got to pray that burden. So what we would teach people to do is, right, now you've got to shake the dust off your feet. You hand that burden back to God, and he'll give it to you again sometime if it's yours to carry. But we have to be disciplined about this. We have to differentiate between what's ours to carry and what's not. So um, building boundaries is really important. If you're taking somebody out for a coffee and they're telling you about dire circumstances, good on you because that's actually the most essential um, bit of community that we can do because the enemy loves to isolate people. But then if we take all of that stuff back into our world and start shouting at the kids when we get home because we've experienced something, well, that's not good. So we have to, again, in a, you can do it like, and you'll all be there at the coffee shop doing this little dance now, just shaking the dust off your feet. But there's a sense of what's my to carry. Some people, unfortunately, they have things that they have to face up to and they're carrying. But you, in helping, don't have to carry that stuff. And it's really important that you don't. So if you're in formal counselling, you'd, you'd meet with the counsellors at the end of the day and you would, you would share stuff so that you're passing it over to the team you know, I had a client who did X, Y, and Z or said this. So that is then off your plate and it's there as we're helping people, but we're not carrying this stuff. And Helen and I have to turn to each other at times and saying, we're okay, aren't we? We've still got all the arms and legs. Because and, you feel that anxiety, you enter into it and you empathize with it. But you have to actually say, it's okay. There's no dire emergency for us because you feel as if there is if you're engaging with this stuff sometimes. So wrapping up. Healthy differentiation. Now when we look at this last part, wonderful practical advice here in verse 8. Uh, one final thing Paul says. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. This is the best advice because when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we fill our thoughts with good things, it's then very hard for the dark stuff to creep in. And so by meditating, we're filling our minds with Jesus. We're seeking him. We're seeking. And it doesn't even have to be like in some ways religious. If going in the card shop and reading funny cards, you know, makes you feel up, go and do that. You know, take a long walk, sit and have a cup of tea. But we've got to actually do the positive stuff. We've got to practice peace. Otherwise, 
the darkness keeps coming in. Again, another positive practice is serving people. So you go and help somebody else. You feel a million times better about yourself. Your circumstances might not have changed and you've still got to work those through. But actually being with other people and doing something for others, we're actually hardwired to do that. This is who Jesus made us to be. So there's something about doing good stuff. And it could be that you just go and have a card game with somebody or play a silly game together. Um, That's all really good stuff for practicing peace. And then finally, the promise we get in all of this is that the God of peace will be with us. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? So we started out by being joyous and our joy is rooted in God's um, relationship to us. And then what we're assured of is his presence with us. So, you know, we've got to keep coming back to the focus of where's God in this? Because if we've wandered off the road and we can't find God, we're missing the the actual thing. Because John 5, 19, we're only ever supposed to be doing what God's doing. So we've got to find him in the stuff that he wants us to do. No matter what our job is, God is there with us. We've got to live and operate out of that place of peace. Um, So he never says, go ahead and go off and do this and I'll see you later. He never said that in his word. He said, I will be with you until the end of the age. And we know it from Psalm 23, don't we, that once we've got the good shepherd with us, that we're assured that his goodness and mercy is literally pursuing, chasing after us all the days of our life. So a fair few things there. Um, but hopefully practical stuff that you can take away and begin to live out of and live in the Father's peace. So why don't we pray? Let's just bow our heads. Father, bring us into an awareness of your presence. Right now, Lord, we just ask that you come and fill us. Lord, you know every thought before we think it. Lord, there's nowhere we can go from your presence, it says in your word. So we just pray, Lord, let us become aware that you're with us right now. And Lord, help us to experience you as Yahweh Shalom, the one who brings not only peace but wholeness. And Lord, we invite you into these things that, um, Lord, you can change in us, you can change in our families, you can change in our circumstances. Lord, you can change into the world. You've stepped in, Lord, and we invite you in in prayer and say, come, Lord, the Prince of Peace. Come and bring your peace, Lord. Let us partner with you. Let us come up under your easy and light yoke and let us experience what it is, Lord, to uh, uh, have you fill us and we experience peace that's beyond our understanding. It's impossible for us to get, but, Lord, you promise us that. So by faith tonight, Lord, we just say, come and be here. Yahweh Shalom. Amen.